This show is brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com. You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about the psycho-spiritual and psychosocial aspects of -of end-of-life care. You can find our podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes and any platform you listen to the show from. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. My co-host Joe is off today. I want to give a thank you to our listeners. We've been listening to in 40 countries around the world and this is the final episode of season one and i want to wish you all a happy new year we have a special guest for you today my guest is dr shirley regev welcome to the show well thank you so much for having me could you in- introduce yourself yes well it's gonna be short but it's a long journey so my name is dr shirley regev i'm holistic a doctor, meaning I do holistic counseling. I, I use the understanding of past life, current life, uh, hypnosis and psychotherapy as part of my methods of helping people. I work with hospice in a hospice. I'm a certified hospice chaplain uh, and I love to uh, be engaged and to embrace the process of the stages of life. And so this is who I am and this is what I do. So where did you grow up? I was born in Israel. I grew up in Israel. And part of my upbringing, I grew up in a, in a secular environment. And I did sports for many, many years, starting from age eight. And since age 16, I was traveling a lot, uh, competing in competitive sports, uh, judo, actually. Mm. Uh, so uh, I'm coming from a very... A black and white coaching mindset. Either you do it or you don't. I served the army in Israel for uh, almost two years, and that was my uh, foundation in the beginning. Uh, tell us, for our listeners who might be curious about your athletic life, could you define judo? It's martial art, and uh, today I will definitely define it differently than I would define it when I was twenty years ago. Uh, you use the momentum of your opponent and towards your benefit. So today when I look at judo and I teach even judo sometimes, I teach it from the spiritual aspect, from the spiritual understanding and as a vessel, a tool to help others grow, be able to channel and and change their mindset through motion, emotion. So when I do emotion, I'm actually helping myself change my emotion. And that's part of uh, self-growth. So you said in ju- in judo, you said the the goal is to manipulate the momentum of your opponent, right? Yes, yes. And uh, yes. so, how do you apply that spiritually? So, body, mind, and soul, and and the ability to have a dialogue and connection with all those parts within you, helping you create peace. And I'll explain. Uh, when it comes to martial art, when it comes to living. A balanced life. It's not as simple as we, as it sounds, right? We all understand by now it's an art. It's art of putting the pieces together until finally you have peace. So knowing all the parts, owning all the parts of life, meaning 
the good part and the negative part, the passion to succeed and move forward in life and your desire to walk away from challenges, walk away from fear, walk away from obstacles, walk away from negativity and conflicts. It's a kind of balance and a dance that you need to learn not only to use the momentum, but also to create the momentum, to create the momentum towards your growth, towards your ability to challenge who you are, your spiritual existence in this physical world. So as as we approach the new year, 2021, uh, what would be your best advice? And using judo, I would say it's all about keeping your head up, meaning using your mind and the logical uh, uh, logical, I would say, mindset to support your feelings in the art of healing and therapy. The goal is never to ignore your feeling. And you want to tell you to get over something or to ignore your feeling, just you know, pull yourself together is wrongly understanding the art of life. It's not mm. about nullifying or ignoring your feelings, it's knowing how to dance with them, how to embrace them. And when in, in a journey to heal, there is a part of grieving and we cry our heart out until the storm is done because even tsunami and even uh, you know hurricanes, eventually they are done after a while. And then the feelings arise, right? You stop crying. And after that, you have the moment of healing. So judo is kind of the same. You know, you might see judo act as a fighting uh, momentum, fighting each other, to try to throw each other to the back. And the opponent, or maybe if I'm there, I am seeking to create a momentum where the, my opponent is use his power toward, against himself. Hmm. You know, you can be two people who push each other but if I move at the moment you keep pushing, you're actually going to fall by yourself. I didn't do nothing. <laughs> so that's the art of life, knowing where to be right and when to be wise, when to when to let go. Even in the art of hospice, you know, there's time for treatment. There's, try to, try, there's time for healing. And there is time to say, you know what? I did everything possible. It's time for me to let go and focus on other areas of my life that I can heal. So making choices, making a preference, what is important to me, according to who am I as a person, what's my values, help me decide and create meaningful life. So not only I create memories, but the people I share my life with will be able to create memories that are healthy, that prosper, and we can all grow together. Yeah. Initially, you said that you thought that that would be your life. Uh, were you making money out of it? Were you? Yes. Uh, okay. I'm a certified judo coach. Yeah. Uh, I work with children and all the movement and uh, it's called, I call it, uh, I used to call it judory, the judo and gympery. I had a club of 120 kids, actually inherit the club out of a terrible circumstances of two friends of mine that they, they died in the, when they went skydiving. And the parents asked me to inherit that uh, club. So they had a very successful club. But uh, after they passed away, um, I end up with uh, 20 kids. Uh, 20 kids, they're shocked. They're in a terrible emotional situation. And I had to put the pieces together uh, and to allow that moment and to momentum in the phase of time to grieve. And from that, I built a very prosperous club 
children. Uh, my heart is always with children, the child within us and children in general. I myself a mom of five children. And um, I built this club hoping to grow and hoping to create a, a great uh, club which focus on empowerment, focus on self-definition, on definition in, in general in life, on growth. Uh, and that's what I thought it's going to be. And then I moved to the United States and I changed my career. When did you move to the United States? Uh, 18 years ago. I married the American and, and I moved with him to the United States, hoping uh, to build my dream life with him. And I could not continue doing what I did in Israel since it's a different country. Uh, the liability insurance, all bureaucracy is very different and challenging. And I start, um, start, we started our uh, family together. And I, um, I was invited and called to change my life. So I did my first degree in business. Uh, I looked to understand business in general, how business works um, in America and in the world. Uh, again, I'm coming from a world of business mindset. Either you do it or you don't. It's black and white. Uh, the motivational part, the coaching. I was certified. I am a certified life coach, health coach. I have many hats out there and all of them were toward doing, doing and fixing a situation. And I was totally there. So um, how did your spiritual path uh, begin? Did it begin in Israel or here? I can say that uh, my awareness for my spiritual path started in a very young age by dreaming and seeing the world from different perspectives. I remember my mom was called to the kindergarten and the kindergarten teacher told her, I'm very concerned about your child. And I was in the next room listening to the conversation. And my mom's like, what, what's wrong with her? So, well, she's drawing only faces. All she's doing is drawing faces. And in my head, I was like, well, those are the people I see in my dreams. So um, my mom asked, well, what's she supposed to draw? And the, the kindergarten teacher said, house, flowers, skies, trees. And I was like, huh. So since then I readjust my uh, application of drawing to something that's more normal. But I would say my first awakening was uh, when I was sick with chronic fatigue syndrome. I was 20 years old after a, a very, uh, I wouldn't say prosper, but very meaningful career in sport. At that time, I didn't feel I did enough, obviously, because it was never enough. And I overexhaust myself uh, to the point that I completely um, exhaust my immune system and I burned out and I could not recover. I was in a vicious cycle for two years, trying to get better, trying to get better, trying to get better. And then when I was in Japan for two months, I was not aware that I'm sick. Uh, and as a competitive athlete, one of the hardest things to do is to rest. I used to exercise when I had a fever. I used to exercise when I was sick. Resting was punishment. And obviously I didn't do that. So I got sick and I didn't understand how come my body is not listening to the mind. I didn't understand why I can't do what I want. And I could not heal. I could not physically heal from that uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. They call it mono. And at that time, I had a lot of challenges at home with my parents. So I found myself pretty much being homeless. Um, with no support system, trying to get better. 
And that was a very challenging moment in my life because nobody understand. And there was a movie that was done and I was a big part of it. It's called Nobody Believe Me. And in Hebrew, it's called It's a movie that addresses all the chronic fatigue, the fibromyalgia episodes that was then in Israel. It still is. And the people are struggling to help their system, their support system, believe them that they are sick. Now there's much more awareness to it. But at that time, there was none. So when I could not heal my body, I started learning Reiki and healing and mindfulness and all this holistic uh, alternative medicine uh, was my way out. And I realized when I'm changing my mind and I'm working on myself, I'm actually helping my body heal. And I did. So that was the first calling uh, from that dream. I always say when you dream, you don't know you're dreaming until you wake up in the morning. Hmm. When you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh my God, I had a dream. So sometimes in life, we don't know we're dreaming and we wake up from that. We call it awakening. Right? Mm. That's our awakening. So I would say that was my first awakening. And then as a young mom, uh, one of my children had special needs and I was trying to fix it. I was trying to make it better. And I had a lot of challenges doing so. And then I opened up for holistic medicine and nutrition and body, mind, and soul, and it completely changed my parenting style and changed my child. So when I experienced so many miracles being done by just being open mindset and seek for solution out of the box, I call it my biggest awakening because it's not only awakened my soul, but it's awakened the souls, people who were there enough and brave enough with a courageous heart to live it with me. When you say changed your child, uh, what were the changes? So uh, one of my children was diagnosed with autism spectrum. And at that time, where we lived, uh, there was no, a lot, there's no resources. There's not a lot of resources to help. And the only way a uh, child was getting the services by defining them the autistic. Now, I'm coming from special needs, uh, educational background, and obviously what I did with the judo. And I knew that the child can be able to overcome those challenges by getting the skills, right? I always say capability is our ability to respond to that challenge. So I start looking for ways to inspire and to empower in any area of life, whatever needed. And I actually moved the country with three young children uh, to help the child Get what he needs. And once I did that, the whole well-being of the child changed. So that was one of my biggest awakening, understanding how much the system helped the individual grow. Sometimes the system we're in is soil, and then there's a certain time that the system changed because we change or there's different demands and the soil become mud. Because instead of growing, we feel like we're drawing and we're going down and we're sinking. And we are feeling, there's a sense of feeling that we life defeating us. And this is where we have to think, okay, being independent is our ability to respond, right? Responsibility, respond with our ability to the world. But we can't, if we can't, we have to ask ourselves, who can I use? What can I be, who I can be supported by that can help me 
utilize my goodwill, my willpower towards my future rather than avoiding my blind spot, avoiding the fear, avoiding the discomfort and feeling I'm running away from it. So at that time, I helped create her, her child and myself a better system and then healing occurred. So right now, there's no IEP, IEP is special education program in school, regular school, no definition, no, no need to call names. Everything is normal. How come it's normal? Because when you get what you need, not only what you want, but what you need, it's become who you are. And it helped change her, the child, and helped change me as well. With that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and can use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI Helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at NAMI.org. So now that after these two spiritual awakenings, what steps did you take to, to, to become that? So the way, I, the way my perspective uh, to the world, with the world, and the dialogue with life and with God is to see, okay, where I am today. What skills and tools I need in order to overcome, to go through the challenges that I'm facing. And I always say God is a tough coach, right? He's a very loving parent that supervised each of us as a private supervision. And I am a very good student and I try to listen. And every stage I was in, I wanted to master the stage to do the best I can with a peaceful heart, knowing I exhausted and I learned and I apply everything I can. In the Jewish Gemara, there is a saying, when a person comes to this world to receive, he will receive 20 years. When he comes to receive and give, he'll get 40 years. But when he comes here to receive, give, and do, he'll get unlimited time that he can to be able to create that momentum and to give over to others. Mm. So I would say those two challenging moments in my life helped me, and there's more, obviously, <laughs> helped me redirect my focus to this challenge that I was facing at that moment mm. and get all the skills. So when I needed to uh, be more aware about nutrition, I learned uh, health coaching. I learned 120 diets, different kinds of methods of eating and how to create a, a healthy body, mind, and soul. I learned to look at individual from four different aspects, about his health, about relationships, about his spiritual state, and about his uh, career application in life, what he's doing. Um, so seeing the individual, myself, my loved one, from all, from all aspects of life, from all four dynamics of life, helped me dress up and create a better reality where they can be supported if I'm the parent, right? And for myself, how can I be supported and keep growing and create meaningful life? Not just to exist in life, 
but create life because we're not here to exist in life. We're here to create life. And that's mm. the biggest part that some of us forget that we have and we can do a lot to change our life, to change our destiny. It's obvious you're self-motivated and um, <laughs> that is amazing. And, and, and that's why I think you've overcome a lot of the challenges because you have this positive outlook on life. I grew up determined that life should be meaningful and life should be and must be good because we are here for a reason. I was and still am a great student of life and God understanding there is a reason why we're here. Nothing happened for no reason. Even the most challenging part of our life is an opportunity. But when we face it, we call it a problem. And how we can take ourselves out of our shell and see it from different perspective. And when you change your perspective, you you know, the, the world treats you differently because we can't change someone else. The only one you can change is ourselves. And by trying so hard, to convey information, to change someone else, to fix the situation, I end up being exhausted and burned out in many areas of life. If it's relationships, if it's even my career, uh, it's my own health. And I realize I can't change someone else, even if I, if they, even if they say they want, but there's a difference between will and willpower. Many people have the will to change their life. They want to lose weight. They want to have more faith. They want to have better relationships. They want to create more money. And that's the will. That's the want. And then there's the willpower. It's the ability to walk toward, towards your future, to apply what you seek to get. And there is a whole mindfulness business, billion-dollar industry of, of adv advertising to people, if you meditate, if you do certain things, you're going to get what you want. But we never get what we want. We get who we are. Because life is a complete mirror of what's going on internally in our life. So if I focus on certain things, I'm going to have people and environment and circumstances that can help me see, hey, that's what you're focusing about. So all our life, when you understand the past life, and the current life, and the circumstances you grew up in, and you understand there's a reason why you're facing those challenges. And let's figure out what's the reason, not how it happened. That's science. How A become B, that's science. But why? Why could God put me in that circumstances? Why God gave me this challenge? What is trying to tell me? And when you see it from that perspective, you can redirect your action and channel it towards growth rather than keep being in a vicious cycle of fixing it. You spoke about willpower, and, and that is important. And you also spoke about uh, in your 20, when you're 20, you know, with all this willpower, then you suffer from chronic fatigue. Yes. And that affects your career. How, how yes. Where should people find the balance? Because well, you can have all the willpower you want, but the body gets tired too. So right. how can people find the right balance, especially as we approach 2021? You know, beginning the new year, many people look at this as a new beginning right. and they have all the willpower to be successful, but the body crashes, life happens. Right. How do we draw the balance? Right. So that's a very good question. So I'll try to answer it as much as possible in a simple way. So the first thing is to know the difference between a choices and a preference. 
Uh, and if I want to eat an apple or pear, that's a preference because really both of them are fruits, both of them are green, both of them are healthy. So that's a preference. I prefer an apple on a pear. A choice involves moral decisions. There's values in it. I can choose to go with my daughter to the mall or to the temple, you know, the synagogue, or to have quality time. And I can choose to drink coffee with my friends. Both are important to me. Both of them are um, uh, elements of my life that I want to feed. But I have to make a decision, a choice, which value I want to feed more. Because this is where I want to grow. I want to grow in both, but I have a moral decision. I have a, a decision, a choice I have to make, which one I'm going to feed right now. So that's always to prioritize and always to be able to redirect your actions towards your values. What is your values? Now, another thing is to understand what's the difference between a mistake and a failure. So many people define mistakes and failures the same thing. Many people say, well, what is failure? Failure, well, I did something and I did not succeed. Well, so what is a mistake? A mistake, well, I did something. I didn't succeed, but I, I, if I do it again, I might will. So it's pretty much the same. And I always say, well, it's the wrong answer. Mistake is I did something. I didn't get results I want. Maybe the reality and my expectation didn't line up together. And I can redirect my actions again and maybe get a different result. Or I can educate myself how to do it better, but I can do it again. Failure is your inability to do anything. You feel like you're stuck. You can't do emotion. You can't apply yourself. I'm failing to meet life. I'm failing to get out of life. I'm failing to create meaningful relationship. Are you? Well, if you are engaging in a conversation, are you meeting the right people? Do you know who you are to attract the right people to your life? So failing, it's actually your inability to do anything. Clinical depression, not be able to engage with life, not be able to apply yourself, not be able to help yourself, not to, uh, not to be able to ask for help. That's failing because there is a concept in our society, striving to be strong and independent. Being strong and independent meaning I don't need anyone. I can do it by myself. Really? Is your body can function just with the heart? Or, you know, failing is like I'm giving up. I can't do it. Can your heart exist alone in the body? Can the brain, the mind, the kidneys, the liver? The organ need to feed himself, but also feed others. It's a beautiful dialogue of feeding each other and feeding ourselves. So when I'm able to feed myself with the right system and my cup is full, full to the point that I can give over to someone else, I'm able to maintain a right, you know, beautiful life and beautiful harmony. The problem is, and it is a problem, knowing how to put the line, how to stop, how to cut poisoning, negativity, mud out of your life, because there comes in all the guilt, guilt shame, blame. Feeling guilty, feeling not enough, want to feel belong, right? Feeling that whatever I want is not available for me. Feeling that, you know, I'm not good enough and I'm capable enough. And all those feelings actually maintaining the devil part of you, the negative part of you. No, you can't do it. Can't do it because you believe you can. So how can we create meaningful life? Know your values. What is the values? The things that we care most. The things that expand your heart, the thing that makes you wake up in the morning. That's one. Second, make choices. 
not preferences, choices. Who is going to be in your life? What area of your life you feed? Who are you going to feed? And I'm not speaking about food. I'm speaking about feeding by giving intention with our five senses. Because the more I feed the negative, the more I experience the negative. This is the art of affirmation, the mindfulness, right? So I'm listening to positive affirmation. I'm seeing great environment, people I'm inspired by. I speak positive. I watch my words. I'm not cursing myself, not neglecting myself, not abusing myself, not over-criticizing myself. Because, I'm, you know, many people that were abused in their past keep abusing themselves just by self-talk. So our five senses can be enlisted and can be incorporated as part of the creation to our reality. And that's what helped me understand that is doing hypnosis and knowing past life regression because hypnosis take care of the childhood memories. Going back to a memory, if you are living it, we're going to re-evaluate, review the situation. So instead of relieving that trigger, we actually reviewing it. So then you get wisdom out of it and you have different perspective about this experience. Instead of trauma or very negative experience, you have so much wisdom and so much gift that you feel full of gratitude that you woke up from this dream and that childhood. And then there is past life. Why we end up in this kind of reality, why we are born to this family, to this environment. I didn't choose to be Philomel male. I didn't choose to be born in Israel or in America or in Africa, right? It was all given to me. Why? Why me? Because people ask what's the life, what's life purpose is all about. Don't ask that. Ask what's your life purposes? What you care about? What expand your heart? What's talked to you? Because I can go to restaurants with five people. One will look at the design. One will look on the body language of people. One will look on the food, right? One will be more aware of the atmosphere and the culture in that business. Everyone has different way of seeing the same reality. So what do you see? And if you see negativity, if you see challenges, if you see that you are suffocating, that's a calling for you to pick up the phone and say, well, I have to see life different because life is worth living. And there is a reason why here and the reason why God wants to work through me because I can be a vessel of life. I can give something. And some people give caregiving. Some people give a great hairstyle. Some people give a great child support to help kids. Some people give great lecturing, you know, like like, like a pastor, a minister, a rabbi. Everyone has different talent. Use it. Thing is, when we're limiting our mind, we're feeling that we're not enough, feeling that we can't do it, that whatever we want is unavailable for us because my mom or my dad or my grandma was not available, you know, didn't achieve it. So if they didn't achieve it, probably I would not achieve it, right? They all don't feel belong, right? So I take all of this concept for hospice, actually, because hospice associates with death. And I know so many people in my life and in my counseling business that are living and there's nothing physical wrong with them. And they feel like they're dying inside. And I refuse to die when I'm alive. I refuse to allow that negative talk to be in my life or in people that I live with or work with. Because we can choose life every single day. And I have a joke in my family. I always ask, well, how do you feel today? 
because today can be different from yesterday. And if you bring yesterday for today, you're going to have the same day. So the word spirituality for me is is meaning the spirit in your reality. What is your spirit in your reality right now? How do you feel and how do you think today? So if I want to give over the best advice for 2021, ask yourself for the next week, how do you feel today? Who are you today? What you feel and what you think today? Because hopefully it's not the same thing as 20 years ago. And if you have those feelings and those thoughts today, how can you utilize and channel it towards your values, to who you are and what you care most? Who are your people? Who are your goal people? You don't have one? Who can you use and connect to that can support you, that can empower you, that can feed you towards your destiny? With that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. This is Saleh Bam and you're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. Before the break, we are continuing our conversation with Shirley. Shirley is a hospice chaplain a holistic healer, and a motivational speaker. Uh, So how did your journey to hospice begin? Uh, From a very sad place. I would say I was exposed to um, death when my grandma passed away. I was 24. She was my best friend. She was my best friend in the sense that she always embraced who I was and who I am. My sensitivity, my heart language, the language of the heart, we celebrated there. She shared her life. I shared mine. She was, she was my mom. And I took a lot of values from her. Her value of family, value of listening to your heart. And I was the courageous one in the family, speaking whatever others could not. And it that put me a lot, of, a lot of trouble. And when she was in the stage of dying, at that time in my life, I had no idea she's dying. I knew she's sick. And I thought she's going to go into the hospital, get out of the hospital, and she's going to be better. And I remember the day, it was Tuesday, I went to visit her. And I patted her face and loved her the way we used to love each other. And she took a long breath. And I felt like her soul is going out. I'm like, oh, what is that? And I was afraid of that. Remember, she's my best friend. So we had our meeting and she was, she was relaxed, but she was communicative. And I believe she's going to be fine. She's just weak. And that week, Thursday evening, I, I finished work and I was on the way to visit her. And I got a phone call telling me it is done. And I said, what's done? And then I realized what's done. And I was so upset because I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there to hold her hand, to hug her, to take with her the last breath and to embrace her, not to walk by herself, not to pass on to the next life by herself. And that devastated me. And my grieving process was not really a grieving process because I wanted to make it better. So I came back to life very quickly. I did not have the right environment or the, I would say, the environment can embrace this sadness. 
So everyone came back to normal very quickly. And I carried that sadness and that grieving for a long time, not realizing I'm carrying that. And I raised my kids. I think my kids know her more than even my brothers because everything in my household, the cooking, the the values is based on my experience with her. I took her life meaning and transform it as a whole celebration. But that was my exposure for hospice and the need of hospice and the need of chaplaincy, someone to help me understand what's going on. And no one in my environment was aware of that. And then through those years, I lost some friends in the army. I lost some very good friend of my brother in the, the last war, Sukhetan, in Israel. And the whole process of how to support others and how to support myself fascinated me because we, grieving is not just about death. It's about a loss. I, I lost the marriage. I didn't lose the marriage, but I had to let go of a marriage, of a concept of a marriage. I had a lot of things that I had to process and to grieve that I never gave myself the time because, again, my mindset was fixing it, getting over it, make it better. And one day, one of my friends asked me how I'm doing. And I was very upset because of my marriage situation that I was then. And she said, Shirley, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, yeah, I'm so upset. And it's not okay. And she looked at me and she said, I'm so sorry. And I paused because I never, ever gave myself the time to feel sorry for myself. But I'm supposed to fix it. I'm always fixing life for anyone else. And then I dived into past life and hospice and chaplaincy. And I call it CPE, CPE, because CPE is being with someone at the moment, not fixing it. You're embracing the person where he is at without channeling, fixing, moving, redirecting, just being them for them. And I wasn't lucky enough to have that in my life. And I wanted that. And I wanted to be the one that can do this and provide that to my children and to my people, whoever I'm within. And by able, be, 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 sorry, by being able to support myself and allow myself, meet myself in that moment, in that stage, it makes me seem stronger. Because when you bring your sensitivity, when you bring your challenges to an environment that cannot deal with that because they don't know how to deal with it, they will find what's wrong with you rather than what's right with you. Not because something is wrong with you, because they fail to recognize or to identify with that situation you bring into the table. So obviously I had this a lot in my life and sometimes people find what's wrong with me rather than what's right with me. And then I realized, well, if I'm in the right environment that I'm being fed and I'm feeding others, that's not a wrong environment. That's a beautiful environment of healing. Because again, healing can occur when there's grieving, there is sadness, there's crying. And then there is feelings, and then there is healing. But if we don't allow ourselves or people we love to be in that space of grieving, and there's no rules to that, you know, right? It's, there's no like limit of time, how much you are crying, how much you're grieving. Everyone is different. But the more you confine and you nullify and you judge and you cancel that time, 
the biggest disconnection you have with life and with yourself. When people come to a time in their life and say, I don't know who I am anymore. It's because they don't have this inner dialogue for so long. They're pleasing for so long. They're fixing for so long. They're giving the value of what they get rather than what to become, right? They're not breathing. They're just fixing in the goal. And this is, this is epidemic in the United States and in the world, focusing on what you get. If I get that, I get that. If I beat that, I get that. If I go to that college, I get that. If I buy this bag or this car, I'm going to get happiness. But who are you going to become when you get that? Is the value is really about all I'm getting? Or the values of what are becoming. So when we can redirect our focus, we actually redirect our life. We redirect our feelings. We redirect our ability to become an octopus, to be in so many places because we can, because we are in the moment. So this is how I got into chaplaincy and hospice by dying so many times and by sometimes wishing you know, when I was 21, I wished at that time to have cancer. And I said, I wish I had that because then people would believe me that I don't feel good. I have something to prove. And to come to a point that you don't appreciate your life anymore, or you are with people that don't appreciate your life anymore. Yeah. So Shirley, um, what will you tell to your 20-year-old self today? I would tell to my 20 year the 20 self that I am wonderful and I'm enough and it's okay to feel sad and it's okay to grieve and it's okay to allow yourself to stick up to your value and not compromise for what you want and not compromising for crumbs just because you're afraid that the, the, whatever you wish for will not happen because it didn't happen. So I would tell myself to find myself with the right people that can embrace and can celebrate and share who I am as an individual. So how are those, um, how is that wisdom helping you now as you do hospice work? I'm, I'm not trying to fix nobody. I, you know, in hospice and chaplaincy, first you connect then you assessed, and then you do the intervention. I'm able to connect with all aspects of life. It's an MD, it's a, it's a physician or a teacher or someone that is in the street and homeless. I connect with them, not because I identify myself with them, because I listen to their heart and I listen to what's going on inside and I meet them where they are, not where I am. And I'm not trying to fix it. I'm trying to be there, there for them. What's the role of hypnosis in holistic healing? So in hypnosis, uh, there is, is there a lot of studies being done today about how much we use the conscious and the subconscious mind. And apparently, with all that knowledge, we use only 5 to 10% of the conscious mind. And a lot of our actions are reaction to subconscious triggers or events. So we project what we think we see. And when we think what we see, what we think we see, we react upon them. So hypnosis helped the individual to let go and relax the conscious mind and to tap into the subconscious mind. And there, the mind, the subconscious mind is much more receptive to affirmation, 
to redirection, to channeling your actions and your mindset and your feelings towards growth. This is why a lot of people drink and use drugs because they let go of the conscious mind, which is limiting us, which is confine us. And the subconscious minds open up, so they're happy and they're much more communicative, right? So we do that in a natural process of relaxing the mind. And then the conscious mind is being relaxed. The person is not completely sleeping. He's completely engaging and an active participant in this dialogue. But he's relaxed. It's like kind of like dreaming, right? So then you create a dialogue with whatever arises for the subconscious mind and you rewire the event. So instead of having a trigger of relieving the same event and having this emotion due to the thoughts involved with that, we actually rewiring rechanneling and recreating the memory so when you wake up you feel a sense of relief and sense of accomplishment and wisdom because you realize why this event in your life came and what you can do to change that event into a more positive wisdom and and treasure that you can carry on and move on with that without carrying this bag of a of a trauma of triggers. That's powerful. So what are, what are your final thoughts? I, I would say that my biggest passion for myself and for others is to know that we grow and we become better and not bitter by sharing the real important values in life. You know, the social media today It's so destructive. Uh, people post what's nice and great and how wonderful life is. And that brings a lot of people when they need help, not to ask for help. We all need help. And help doesn't make us weak, make us strong. And when we have the right help, we become unlimited, unstoppable. And we feel that God is present all the time because we feel like we are growing. And birth of a new situation and new reality occur because we feed ourselves with the right system. You know, in the field of medical field, right? When God forbid someone has cancer in his body and the option is either to cut the organ or to let the cancer spread, even if it's in our own body, we are going to cut that organ because we want to live. So I always say, choose life, no matter where you are today. If you feel broken, if you're depressed, if you feel you can't manifest healthy, happy life, you should know it is available for you. And if you don't have the willpower yet and you have the will, connect to someone who can give over to you that power, that mindfulness, that pulse of life to choose life every single day because you can. And if the body cannot be healed, the spirit can be healed. The emotion can be healed. Your mental situation can be healed. And that sometimes creates healing in the body. I experienced it myself and many others as well. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and our dialogue. That was Dr. Sheryl Raigrave. A Happy New Year and thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting Studio in Joliet, Illinois.
Audio Hive Podcasting is a studio dedicated to podcast recording, editing, and production. For more information, you can find us at audiohivepodcasting.com. 